to see you. And uh, my name is Josh. I should say, hey uh, Really glad for you to, to be here with us at the school. And uh, just want to say thanks quick to Jeremy Van Lu helping us get everything around. Yeah. Huge, huge help to us. And uh, we're really grateful for you. And uh, he'll be helping us the next few weeks. Uh, there was a guy who, uh, well, he was going to receive an inheritance of a million dollars, but his health wasn't that great. And uh, they were worried that if he got this news, because he had just had a heart attack and they were afraid of a relapse, but that if he got this news at the wrong time, he'd get too excited and would probably die. So they called his pastor. They said, hey, you got to go kind of tell him about this and just let him know. But kind of gauge, you know, how he's doing before you really break the news, because we don't, you know, we want to guard his heart there, literally. And so the pastor went in, and as they were talking, and he goes, you know, have you ever thought about what you'd do with a million dollars? And the guy said, he thought about it for a while, and then he said, well, I'd give half of it to the church. And then the pastor had a heart attack. (laughs) Hey, today, Jesus' parable talks about kind of a retirement, uh, what's what's coming in the future. how we invest in this life. Let's do a little thought experiment here this morning and think about your retirement. How's, how's your retirement going to shape up? You know, what do you plan to do? Imagine, you know, well, just get detailed. What's it going to look like for you? Um, when you have, or if you have enough money to quit your day job, uh, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? Thinking about it for a little bit, you got it? Give it some thought. Now, here's my question. As you've thought about some of those details, uh, does any of it involve continuing to invest, serving, being involved in ministry? You know, uh, today Jesus gives us a parable. We're in a series called Parables where he challenges us to consider how we're investing our lives, how we're investing our time, how we're investing everything And he challenges us to consider when that actually pays off. Because unlike the investments we make uh, financially in this life, the investments we make spiritually uh, pay off for eternity. And uh, Jesus challenges us with that truth this morning. So with that, let me pray. And then we're going to be in Luke chapter 12 this morning. And as you've seen already, the parable of the wealthy man. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. And Lord, thank you for your grace to us. And uh, Father, thanks we can meet here at the school together just as, as one group as your church. Uh, Holy Spirit, I pray you'd speak to and through me uh, as I teach your word. Uh, reveal to us uh, what you've written and uh, show us then how to live in light of it. Father, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, as we get to Luke chapter 12, Jesus had been busy teaching And as usual, whenever Jesus gets busy teaching and doing ministry, a ton of people start to follow him. And so, in fact, Luke tells us at the beginning of of Luke chapter 12 that there were thousands of people following Jesus. Thousands of them. To the the point that they were trampling one another. And it says it right there in Luke chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, But when we get to verse 13... 
Uh, we read this. There, there was some guy in the crowd, somebody just yelled to Jesus. And I have a feeling this was probably more common than uh, we even have written down for us in scripture, that people were always just, hey, I got a question for you, Jesus. And here's, here's what uh, he says. He said, uh, Luke writes, someone in the crowd said, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But, but he said to him, man, uh, who are you? Or, or, or excuse me, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? See, in, in this day and age, uh, the Old Testament has a lot of regulations about dividing an inheritance. But occasionally, there'd be a rare situation where something had to be figured out. And so if that was the case, oftentimes people went to their rabbi. And their rabbi, their teacher, made the decision for him. And, and so that's what this guy's doing. He's, he's had so much respect now for Jesus after following him around that he says, uh, Rabbi, uh, tell, teacher, tell, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. He, he's, he's wanting a ruling on something. And then look what Jesus says. He says, uh, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? You know, before we get too much farther, uh, it seems to be here that, that Jesus just gives us a clue that wise judgment and good discernment says, I don't get involved in every little thing I could possibly get involved in. And I don't have to give my opinion on every little issue that comes up and about in life. Not every issue, in other words, uh, needs us to weigh in on social media, do they? I have a feeling if Jesus had a Facebook account, it would, it would have uh, hardly any posts. And he would never post on Ink Free. That's just my guess. <laughs> just my guess. That, 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 uh, he just says, who, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? That there's certain things we don't need to weigh in on. Uh, I, I just, I, that stood out to me, and it's a little bit of a side trail from the message this morning, but I think it's important for us to pay attention to that. And maybe, maybe, at some point, we need to go back and, and curate some of the things we've posted or said or, or done just to, to be gracious and because here's what Paul says. He says uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter four, aspire to live, you ready for it? Quietly. Mind your own affairs. Work with your hands like we instructed you. And Jesus gives us a good example here of that. Just we don't have to weigh in on every dispute and issue. And, and so when Jesus bows out, he, he kind of cuts then to the core of this guy. And sometimes when we bow out of arguments, we kind of reveal what's, what's really happening under the surface. And uh, as he goes on, uh, he draws attention then to a much bigger issue for this man than just his inheritance and whatever kind of fight was going on with his brother. Look what Jesus says in verse 15. He, he said, uh, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus' response here wasn't to respond directly to the complaint that was issued, but to point to something bigger and something deeper. The correct attitude in accumulating wealth. Some of you have had experiences like this in, in your life where in your family, maybe there's been a dispute <laughs> over an inheritance or <laughs> someone dies or there's money involved and things get messy in a hurry, don't they? And they can get ugly. And, and Jesus points to the deeper issue though that's really driving that. That there's, there's a right attitude towards accumulating wealth. 
See, Jesus' response was about covetousness, the covetousness of this man. In other words, his greed. He, he just wanted it all for himself. You know what greed is, right? It's, it's the excessive and consuming desire to have more and more and more of something. I mean, and it could be anything from ice cream to Hot Wheels to vehicles to money, fill in the blank, right? Greed can just want more and more and more. And, and it's, it's a lusting then to have more than what you need, just, just always grasping for more. And uh, that's what this guy was doing. That's what Jesus kind of cuts to the heart with. And really what he does is he quotes one of the 10 commandments, one of God's top 10 list. Do you know which one? The very last one, you shall not covet. Exodus 20, verse 17, you shall not covet. And then uh, God gives us a, a bunch of examples in case we go, oh, I don't covet. Well, how about your neighbor's house? Do you like their house more than your house? Don't covet your neighbor's house. How about uh, your neighbor's wife or uh, their male servant or their their ox, maybe you don't covet their ox, but you might their vehicle, right? Or their tractor or whatever else or anything that's your neighbor's. Now, I know none of you covet, but sometimes I do. And uh, Jesus speaks to me and he says here, hey, Josh, usually when you're longing after those things you can't have and that you always want more of, it's, it's not that that thing's gonna make you happy. There's something deeper going on here. Life consists of a whole lot more than stuff. And it does. Because we often find that stuff just leads us, leaves us empty. And um, his, his heart was revealed. See, when, when we do that, really what the Bible calls that though is when we lust after or covet after things that aren't ours, it calls it idolatry. Uh, look at what Paul writes to the church in Colossae, he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And he gives a list, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. They're like, whoa, he's got that ranked up there pretty high with some other pretty big sins, doesn't he? Yeah, because God's after our heart. And when we covet other things, look what he says, which is idolatry. We, we form idols, and our hearts are little idol factories. Uh, so guard your hearts from idols. Uh, the, the writer of Proverbs says it this way, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. See, uh, Jesus said, uh, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions be on guard. Guard your hearts from idols. That's what Jesus is saying. Guard your hearts from idols. You know, it's probably good for us then just to talk about idolatry a little bit. Because some of us, we're thinking, I don't have any idols. Like, I don't have like a little stone statue on my mantle that I bow down and worship. But here's the deal. Uh, idolatry is, is rampant among us and in our culture. David Pallison, a counselor, writes this. He says, idolatry is by far the most frequently discussed problem in the scriptures. And it's pervasive. And uh, idolatry, just to give a, a simple definition, here's what idolatry is. It's when created things are made into God things. 
See, when a created thing becomes a God thing, like it becomes ultimate, then that's a bad thing. Even if that created thing is a really good thing. That good thing can become a God thing and then it's a bad thing and it, it, it hurts our hearts. It hurts our hearts when we have idols and we covet things that aren't ours, that God hasn't given us. Um, so do you have any idols? I wonder, do you care if I just uh, poke at you a little bit, see if we can figure some of them out? Here's, here's a helpful thing, and some of you have seen me share this before, but that's helpful for identifying your idols. Because every one of us, our hearts and our sinfulness are idol factories. We're always looking for something to worship. We're, uh, Harold Best has a book called Unceasing Worship where he says we're continuously outpouring worship. We're like this fire hose and we're always pointing it at something. And, and so here's, here's how to identify some of your idols. First off, let's just use the word idols, items. Sometimes your stuff can be an idol, right? You don't have that problem, do you? I mean, nobody in North America has that problem. Where stuff becomes an idol, your home, your car, your clothing, your technology, fill in the blank, right? And, and we all, in, in such a materialistic culture, we struggle with this one. And, and what an idol is, is it's a good thing. It's good to have a house. It's, it's good to have nice clothes. It, those are all great things, good gifts of God. But when that good created thing becomes a God thing, now it's a bad thing when I live for that. Do you see? So maybe some items. What, what are some items that you give so much attention and so much of your life to, to serving and attaining? You're loving an idol, friend. How about uh, duties? We needed a D word, so we couldn't do activity because we're trying to spell idols. So duties. What are the things that you do? What's some of your activity? Maybe you, you, know, you can find your identity in something that you do, and then that thing becomes an idol, and that's all you live for. So for your career, you, you could live for your career, right? And, 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 and doing that work, whatever it is that God's given you to do for vocation, if that becomes the ultimate pursuit of my life, then that thing's become an idol because that good thing has become a God thing and now it's a bad thing. And, and, and students, this can happen too, right? I mean, uh, being a student can become an idol or, or uh, doing certain things to, to earn the respect or favor of other people. It becomes an idol when, when we just try to do, do, do. Uh, how about, the, oh, others. Sometimes others can be an idol. Other people. You know, God made us for friendship, which is a really good thing. He created us longing for relationship, longing to be loved and to love. And that's a good thing. That's how he made us in his image. But when that good thing becomes an ultimate thing, that's a bad thing. And others become idols. You know, I'll just be happy if they would be pleased with me. I would just be happy if they would quit doing this. And we can idolize people. We can, we can spend our whole lives trying to uh, serve our parents or, or earn some favor from someone, and it's never ending. Or, or how about relationships, right? You know, some of you, uh, maybe you're single, you long for a relationship, and uh, 
by God's grace, I pray that he gives you that, a good Christian man or woman. But if that good thing that he's offered becomes the ultimate thing that you live your life for, then that's a bad thing. Because it's not the ultimate thing. It's not. And, and others can uh, become an idol. Uh, sometimes we refer, refer to it like this. How about people pleasing? Are you a people pleaser? I know I can be. It's an idol, what others think of me. How about the L? The L can be longings. And this can be the longing after some of those other things. You know, longing for relationship, for health, for security, for uh, being a mom, being a dad, for independence, longing for that good retirement someday. Uh, longings can be idols. Not necessarily bad things. Things that are good to long for. But when they become ultimate, they become an idol and they become bad. And then finally, uh, kind of a sneaky one here, sufferings sometimes can become an idol. To where I find my identity in what's happened to me or what's been done to me or what I perceive to be wrong with me. And in my suffering then, I find my identity and, and I serve that thing and it becomes an idol. And I constantly play into that truth. So uh, what Jesus is saying here, guard your heart against all covetousness and I think he would say against all idols. Guard your heart, friends, against all idols. And uh, we can see that a lot of times in other people, can't we? I don't know about you, but I'm pretty good at pointing out idols in other people's lives. How about you? I can see them really clear. You know which ones I don't see? Or my own. I rarely see my own. And so that's why God often reminds us, even back in the very beginning in the Old Testament, reminds us to guard our hearts. And continually, when we get to Deuteronomy, uh, God says this, take care and keep your soul diligently. In other words, it's the same language, guard your heart lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. This is after the people had seen God provide for them in miraculous ways, crossing the Red Sea. God's like, you, you better guard your heart and guard your soul or you're gonna forget all the good things that I've done for you. And uh, they're gonna depart from your life. Make them known so they don't, even to your children and then your children's children. It goes on later in Deuteronomy to take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. When we forget what God's done for us, we, we start to look to ourselves. And Jesus, uh, one of his best friends, John, writes, little children, keep your heart from idols. Keep your heart with all vigilance, the writer of Proverbs says, for from it flow the springs of life. You know, you know that verse, but I wonder, do you know the next one? Do you know the promise that goes with this verse? Look at verse 24. If you guard your heart from idols, then when you lie down, you won't be afraid. Then when you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. You'll actually start to have some of that peace that you're looking for in those idols. When instead of turning to them, you turn to God. Well, let's get back to Jesus' parable because th this is what he's warning us against in this parable. Uh, look here with me in chapter 12, uh, verse 15. He, he told him, take care, be on your guard. And then, then he tells him a uh, parable. He said, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, 
what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. I mean, I have, I have so many crops. It's been, been such a great year. Everything's growing. I don't even know what to do with all of them. Well, uh, so then, uh, here's, here's what he does. Uh, he said, I- I'm going to do this. I'm going to tear down my barns. I'm going to build larger ones, and I'm going to store all my grain and all my goods. And then I'm going to say to my soul, soul, uh, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, retire, eat, drink, be merry. That's what he says. Uh, This wealthy man was rooting his hope and his security and his possessions. He's like, I I got plenty now. Uh, Life is just going to be on cruise control from here on out. And those things were the source of his contentment, the source of his future hope and his security. Do you know what they were? They were his idols. They were his idols. Why were they his idols? Because he found all of his hope in them. Friends, here's what Jesus does not say. He doesn't say it's wrong to have a ton of money. He doesn't say it's wrong to to invest and make a ton of money and retire comfortably. And, and not have to worry about your finances. He never says that's wrong. Do you know what he says is wrong? What's an idol? When your trust is solely in that. And when that's the thing you live for. When that's the thing you live for, you're in trouble. See, because you can be dirt poor and totally unrighteous. Or you can be dirt poor and completely righteous. Or you can be a filthy rich and be wicked as well. Or you can be incredibly wealthy and still be righteous. The, the, the matter isn't how many possessions you have, it's, it's about your heart. That's what Jesus says, guard your heart against idols. And, and the reason you need to guard against them is because they deal in lies. They lie to you. And they give you false hope. When, you're, when your trust is in an idol, it's going to let you down. Trust me, it is, every time. Maybe not immediately, but it will. It'll let you down. Because idols offer what they can never deliver. They offer hope and and ultimately salvation. They do. You're trusting in them to save you, maybe from poverty or boredom or pain or loneliness or purposelessness. And and they succeed in deceiving us because here's the thing. With with idols for a short time, they actually do kind of medicate that and relieve that, don't they? Like, like when I work really hard and I, I get all that stuff or I get all that money or whatever it is, it feels pretty good for a little while. But not forever. It, it, it flees. Uh, he, in the writer of Hebrews talks about people who have had just great faith. And one of them, Moses, he says this about him. By faith, Moses, when he grew up, he, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He identifies it here that the pleasure of sin, that the one sin is pleasurable, that's why we sin, that's why we worship idols. But it's fleeting. Jesus says, I've come to give you life abundantly and fully. He prays that his joy would be present in us eternally. See, idols offer what they can never deliver. In the Old Testament, in Isaiah, 
I'm going to read to you from the message. Uh, the prophet Isaiah writes this uh, as God speaks through him. Uh, he says to his people, God says, have you ever come across a God, a real God, other than me? There's no rock like me that I know of, God says. In fact, all those who make uh, idols, false gods, they don't amount to a thing. And what they work so hard at making is nothing. It's just, they're, they're little puppet gods, see nothing, and they know nothing. In fact, they're total embarrassments. Who would bother making gods that can't do anything? Who would bother making gods that can't God? <laughs> Watch all the no God worshipers hide their faces in shame. Watch the no God makers slink off humiliated when their idols fail them. Get them out here in the open. Make them face the true God. And he goes on to call their idols dumb idols. He means dumb because they can't talk, they can't hear, but, but really they're also, let's face it, they're dumb. Idolatry, eternally speaking, is it's just it's foolishness. Because idols can never deliver what they promise. They never can. And in, in the parable Jesus tells, this man's hope for his future rested foolishly in his possessions. And look what God says to him after he, he reasons, oh, I've got enough, I'm gonna sit back, kick back, relax, life's gonna be great. God said to him, you fool. This night your soul's required of you. And the things that you prepared, the thing you gave your whole life working for, like, like who will, whose will it be now? What's the point now? You know, it's never good to be a fool. It's especially, not to be, it's especially not good to be called a fool. And it's especially, especially not good to be called a fool by God. <laughs> because he's always right. And this guy was a fool for trusting in his idols, trusting in his stuff and not in God. This guy hadn't guarded his heart from idolatry. God had blessed him with, with incredible wealth, incredible things, which were good gifts that, that God gives us to enjoy. But the problem is his trust turned from God to his stuff. And so he was a fool. Uh, see, idols lie. They give you false hope that, that they're going to deliver something that they can never deliver. And uh, you need to guard your heart from them. Because they do. They deal in lies and false hope. But here's the good news. Jesus deals in true hope. Jesus gives true hope. In fact, the thing that you're longing for ultimately and that I'm longing for ultimately when I, when I chase after an idol and I worship something that isn't God, do you know what I'm really longing for? God. Because I'm wanting something to rescue me. I'm wanting something to save me. I'm wanting something to give me purpose and hope and a future. And the only thing that does that, the only, it's not even a thing, it's a purpose, it's a person, is Jesus. He's the only one who gives me purpose and hope. See, uh, God said to him, you're, you're a fool because this night your soul is required of you and, and the things you've prepared, the things you've put your trust in. Now what? So is the one. Jesus gives the punchline here, uh, really the, 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 uh, the force of the whole parable the same way, so is the one, there's a fool too who lays up treasure for himself but isn't rich toward God. 
isn't rich toward God. Friends, life on earth is short. Do you know that? It's crazy short. And this, when, you, when you compare it to eternity, even the longest life is incredibly, incredibly short. And, and you can spend your life in investing in things that, you, that will pay off maybe at the very end of that tiny little part of your life. Or you can spend your life investing in things that will pay off for eternity. And God gives us that choice. I'll give you an example of the power of investing with the future in mind. I wonder how many of you in 1980 bought part of Apple's IPO on the stock market? Anybody? It opened in December of 1980 for $22 a share. And if you would have bought $100 worth of stock in 1980, uh, Apple's had five different splits. I did a little research this week. It split uh, two times. In other words, your one share became two, and then again twice, so your two became four, and then again twice, so your four became eight. Then it had a seven for one split, so your eight became 56, and then just a couple years ago, it had a four for one split to where your 56 became 224 shares. And if you would have invested that $100 in 1980, you would have been able to buy 4.54 shares of Apple stock for $100. And today, if you would just let it sit, not invest it another dime, you uh, would currently have $176,951.04 out of your $100. Now, if you invested 1,000, you'd have 1.7 million. If you'd invested 10,000, you'd have 17.7 million. And we look at that and we go, oh, wow, that's amazing. Now, how about the promises God makes to you? If you would invest in in loving people, in serving him and uh, seeing Jesus as the king and doing what he tells us to do, being sent to love people, invite him to follow Jesus with us, Listen, that that Apple stock, it it won't compare to what God will pay off. The the things, Paul says, the the, the things God has planned for those who trust him and love him in eternity, no one's even dreamt about. Like it's, it's way beyond our imagination how good our God is. And we do that not necessarily to earn those things, but at the same time, God says, hey, there's some rewards for following me. And so he does that, I think, to, to say, hey, follow me, because I'm good. And I'm going to pay off in ways your idols never will. Uh, Jesus' little brother James said this, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. I mean, what's your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then it just vanishes. So invest in eternity. Because life is short. And and here's uh, kind of the crux of the matter. Paul writes to Timothy, a young pastor, he says, as for the rich in this present age. Now you might read that and you think, okay, he's not talking to me. Except for one little problem. You live and I live in the wealthiest nation that's ever existed in the history of the earth at a time where there is more wealth than at any time and and more opulent living than at any time in the history of the earth. 
So the rich in this present age, I guess that's us in this room. <laughs> Here's what Paul says of how we have to live. He said, charge them, Timothy, as their pastor, not to be haughty or proud, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. See, the Bible doesn't say, uh, so you can't enjoy any good thing you have. No, enjoy it, but no, it's from God. And then uh, Paul goes on and he says, here's what they're to do then. They're to do good and be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Jesus uh, ended his parable. He said, so it is, the one, he's a fool who lays up treasure for himself and isn't rich toward God. Uh, one paraphrase says, that's what happens. Remember the, the wealthy man who uh, died that night after saving everything up for himself? See, that's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. Friends, the, the question for you as we head out this morning is what's your barn filled with right now? What's it filled with? What are you hoping in for tomorrow? You know, Jesus doesn't promise a cushy life. In fact, he says, if you follow me, it could get pretty hard. And if you look around at the world today, it looks like what Jesus said is happening. <laughs> Go figure, huh? He was telling the truth that for those who follow him, it's gonna be hard. And so the question then is, uh, what's in your barn? What are you trusting in? Guard your heart from idols, friends. They deal in lies and false hope. But Jesus deals in true hope. Let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus.